it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1 866 408 One of the greats, uh, impactful senator uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., Senator Bill Cassie, running for re election, will be joining me. That'll be great. Also, we'll get to the bottom of what's going on in New Orleans. Zion's back on the court for the Pelicans. But more importantly, the mayor. Turns out she's been living rent-free, traveling around in first class while the city of New Orleans, the city of New Orleans is a thousand cops shy. It is a mess. I was just there. It is the murder capital of every big city in the country. Nothing to be proud of. Let's get Senator Bill Cassidy on that. Right now, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And I think the more that the Ukrainians continue to seize ground in the east and in the south, I think the more desperate Putin becomes. I mean, look, this has been a strategic failure in multiple ways since it began in February. Uh, there you go. Mark Esper, Putin, time to panic. His army is being routed as reserves are called up and 100,000, hundreds of thousands more have moved out of the country rather than serve. Let's not get wobbly, Joe. Let Zelensky finish the job, which includes Crimea, maybe before winter even sets in. Number two. I hope everyone can see. It's sort of like everyone is anonymous or everyone is leaking and they want you to confess to something you have no clue about. But it just shows how desperate they are right now. They, they energize me. Uh, Herschel Walker, after raising $500,000 since his revelations in The Daily Beast, and now with his son coming out against him, he is not slowing down. He has just joined me on Fox and Friends. We'll tell you what he said and play it back. Race by race, from Herschel DeFetterman to Abrams, we'll look at the breaking news around the races that matter most and emerging issues pushing both parties to rising gas prices to how to control crime. Number one. I can't find another story in the history of our country that has been actually so suppressed. Suppressed actually is in a complete blackout. There has not been one credible interview on refuting anything I've said. He's 100% right, and that is the voice of Tony Bobolinsky. He blows up Biden in a detailed way that lays out the challenges to all media and negligent FBI to once and for all do their job in an hour-long interview with Tucker Carlson. We'll bring you the highlights, and that's where uh, we'll begin. Uh, in fact, I'm going to just change the format just a little bit. I'll go with number two first. I just got off the set of Fox and Friends, had a chance to talk to Herschel Walker, the first time he's been talking since his son came out against him on TikTok. Uh, and, excuse me, on Twitter, where he said that basically he thinks Herschel's lying. What is he talking about? The Daily Beast came out with a story that says in 2009 he paid for a woman's abortion. Well, he said it never happened. She produced a card, but she will not give her name, and there's no check. Cost about $700, but he says I mail checks to everybody. I have no idea who this woman is. In the story, they say they are still in touch. So, we don't know who it is. We don't know what's next. We knew, though, his son opened up on him and just basically called him a liar. Here's Christian Walker, cut 14. I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. He goes on, cut 15. 
My intention is don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy, talk normal, do not lie. So I asked him that, played that cut, and here's what he said, cut 12. I love my son unconditionally, and I, that's the way I've always been. I always love him unconditionally. You know, he graduated college uh, a couple of months ago. He's now a young man doing his own thing, but his father's always there for him. I always will be for any, any of my kids, and I love him. I always support him, and I always have supported him, and I always will, and I love him unconditionally. And he wouldn't answer the question. He said the son, uh, one of them is telling the truth, and he said he didn't want to uh, talk any more about it and went back and forth. Um, he believes that they're targeting him like they are Kavanaugh. Um, cut 13. He's doing uh, tremendous damage to you by coming out with those statements. Do you know why he's saying this? Well, the damage he's doing is letting people know that the left will do whatever they can to win the seat. And I told you when I got in this race, I'm going to win this seat. People see someone sitting here in front of you right now that's been redeemed. And I want America to know I'm living proof that you can make mistakes and get up and keep going forward. But you can only do it in this country right here. And you can only do it if we get this election correct this come November. Because we vote for the people on the left, like the guy running against Senator Warnock. You're not going to have a chance to be redeemed. He's a minister and he don't believe, he don't believe in redemption. Right now, they're trying to destroy right. America. They're trying to destroy Georgia. And I'm not going to let them happen. It ain't going to happen on my watch. So Christian Walker is a flamboyant, outwardly gay conservative who is always on Twitter, big social media influencer, whether it's TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. And just in the past, this is what caught many people by surprise. He's praised his dad. Cut 16. All the Democrats have fun with an all-blue president, Congress, Senate. Did you live your best life? Well, hope you had fun because the Senate's about to be read. Team Herschel. I think everyone's really excited that my dad, Herschel Walker, is taking the opportunity. And I think what's cool about it is he's already built this foundation of trust with fellow Georgians. They've watched his work ethic, his attention to detail. Even demographics that don't typically vote Republican come out in support of my father, Herschel. And we'll see. If he's going to win, he's got to get a little bit more of the black voters within uh, striking distance. Now, with Warnock, this guy's no saint. He's got, he ran over his uh, wife's foot, allegedly. He doesn't come across with child payments. Evidently, now that he's not just a reverend, he's a senator. He's got a big increase in salary. When it comes to child support, there's been no increase there. This guy is no saint. He's for defunding the police. He says you can't serve God and serve in our military. Not a big – he uh, doesn't talk much about it now. Kind of a 16, 19 guy. All white people should apologize. Friends with Reverend Wright. This guy's got a background which makes him vulnerable to the people of Georgia. And that's what Herschel Walker comes out as a black conservative who grew up in uh, abject poverty with two working parents uh, who never was given anything. The guy had a – Work out basically in bare feet, couldn't afford weights and did push-ups and uh, headstands and whatever he did to become this behemoth and great uh, athlete, uh, Olympic athlete as well as running back and a track star. Did that all himself. Family were athletes, but no one gave him anything. So it's a good story. Will it not be enough to win the Senate seat? Looks like Rick Scott and people are rallying behind him instead of running from him. So I think that's pretty important. Uh, in terms of major stories in, in Georgia, it's Stacey Abrams trailing by about eight. Now she's trying to rewrite history. If you're going to convict, convict the president on denying elections and saying it's killing democracy, you have to go back to 2018 when Stacey Abrams clearly lost to Brian Kemp and they said that she struck a bunch of people from the ballots. Those people were not on the ballots. 
they were on there not on for the right reasons. They had moved. They were out of there. They had not answered any questionnaire. That's why they were taken. Those are constantly done to cleanse the balance of uh, names that are no longer alive or living there. So listen to Stacey Abrams trying to rewrite history. Cut 17. Is there any scenario under which you would concede that you lost publicly in 2018? In 2018, on the day I made that speech, if you played the beginning of the speech, I acknowledged that I was not the governor, that Brian Kemp won the election. What I said is that the process denied access to too many voters, and that was proven by more than 3,000 voters who made their voices heard by a a trial and a process that was the first full-length trial held on voting rights in more than a decade in the state of Georgia. I have never denied the outcome. Does anyone buy that? Anybody? She denied the outcome over and over again. She used it to raise money to her credit. And what she did is change the election laws. Brian Kemp went along with it toward the legislature and allowed Georgia to go blue. Senate seats, but it stayed red. And now Brian Kemp has done so well, according to the people of Georgia and me, especially during the pandemic when I think he led the charge. I think that's why he's out on top. I think his... That's part of the reason, too. And I think a lot of people were turned off because she absolutely destroyed Georgia. And she also indicated in the past, maybe erroneously, that she doesn't like the state. Here's what she actually did say in not conceding the election, cut 18. This is not a speech of concession. It was not a free and fair election. The game was rigged against the voters of Georgia. And I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. If it looks like it's rigged, it probably is. But I didn't lose. I got the votes. Okay, Uh, so she's still lying. And she got the All-Star game kicked out of Atlanta where you could have the old mostly urban setting where you had all these people set the profit, all these bar owners and hotel rooms and the uh, stadium workers. Instead, Colorado got it because she went and started this big thing that uh, the election was stolen. So we don't want to bring movies there. We don't want the All-Star game played there. She went back into USA Today and changed her editorial. That's why she's losing by eight points. And this is a double whammy for Democrats because she was one of the up-and-coming so-called stars. You lose the governor's race twice while denying it the first time, and you lose decisively the second time. I don't think she's got a, a strong political future. So when we come back, we are going to talk to Senator Kennedy. And then at the bottom of the hour, Kathy Lee Gifford will come in, and we'll talk about whatever she wants. Also, great news, Aaron Judge is the single-season home run king in the American League, I think, in all Major League history. What do you think? Don't move. The fastest-growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I hope everyone can see. It's sort of like everyone is anonymous or everyone is leaking and they want you to confess to something you have no clue about, but it just shows how desperate they are right now. They see me as a big threat, and I know that, and I knew it when I got into this race, but they don't realize that I think they came for the wrong one. They they energize me. They energize me because I know how they really want to try to keep this seat. And if I and uh, that is a seat that the Republicans must have if they actually uh, more than likely want to keep the Senate. There's just no choice. There's no way two ways about it. The Georgia seat, Herschel Walker coming out responding to the Daily Beast, saying uh, that he had a, he paid for an abortion in 2009 when he's pro-life uh, now, and then his son came out and said everything he's been saying is a lie. Uh, and it looks like Rick Scott is doubling, tripling down. Lindsey Graham the same way. $500,000 has been raised by the campaign since the allegations came out. Senator Bill Cassidy joins us now. Senator, do you support, still support Herschel Walker? So I don't know the facts of this case. I know that this is an allegation. Um, and it's 2009. And we, don't know the, we do not know the person's identity. We don't know any of that. And so you don't make a decision based on hearsay. Let me just say that. Herschel does have a right. The question is who is going to control the Senate with all that implies. But I can concede there are going to be people who are pro-life who are going to be incredibly troubled by this. And the people of Georgia are going to have to make a decision. Um, uh, um, And lastly, Herschel's right. At the end of a campaign, people are throwing all sorts of things, which later on you may decide are or are not true. But at the moment, they're just trying to influence that last race. It's a tough call for a lot of folks. To, uh, on, on another note, so we'll see. But so, so far, you're in his corner because they're out, or, or are you not in his corner? You're waiting. No, I'm in his corner. Okay. Uh, just because just I know that's what happens at the end of a race. Um, and so, um, uh, but I can tell you, I can tell you there's going to be some pro-life people who would like to know the answers to that. Senator Bill Cassie, our guest. Senator, it just came across now. Uh, OPEC, will, OPEC Plus will cut uh, production by 2 million barrels a day. Uh, that is going to force the price up that's been climbing for the last eight days, especially in the West Coast. What's your reaction? Yeah, so this is the United States should be energy independent, and Joe Biden has made a decision to leave it in the ground. He would argue otherwise, but the facts are on federal lands. We've, we've got all these natural resources, and his administration is doing everything they possibly can to not develop it. Um, uh, and so we're paying the price literally. We're paying the price at our utility bill. We're paying the price at the gas pump. And the Europeans are going to pay the price. We're trying to support our allies who right now are trying to wean themselves from Russian oil and gas. Uh, we could be supplying them more. Instead, they become more dependent on OPEC. OPEC's cutting by 2 million barrels a day. So this administration's policies on energy have been, have been um, a disaster for the American people and, frankly, for the people of freedom-loving countries. As complicated as Saudi Arabia is, one thing the previous president did is met with him early. He thought they have a, they're going to have a lot of say in energy production, and he seemed to have gotten their trust as much as Saudi Arabia will trust you, perhaps. That seems to be a different story. Do you think relationships matter I think it does matter, by the way. The previous president, President Trump, also called him up and said, listen, you're doing some stuff which is not right. We've got a lot of troops there protecting you. We may pull them out if you don't start kind of helping us out a little bit. Uh, but he had that relationship in which, in which we had committed to their defense. This administration came in and, said, and President Biden said uh, off, the, off the bat that we're going to change our relationship with Saudi Arabia. That's not just trust. That's destroying trust. And so there's just been a pattern here, Brian, 
of if it's something that's going to work against U.S. energy independence, Joe Biden has seemed to work the other way. Um, and he would argue, no, we're doing renewables. We are dependent upon China for the critical minerals for all the renewables that they are talking about. This administration on energy has been a disaster. Here is uh, the press secretary trying to explain uh, to to uh, America that you're wrong on that, Senator Cassie. Listen, cut 35. You've said the president was responsible for gas prices coming down. Is the president responsible for gas prices going up? So it's a lot more nuanced than that, right? Um, Peter, you know this. Uh, there have been global challenges that we have all have de- dealt with. When I say all, meaning other countries as well have dealt with since the pandemic. There's been pandemic and there's been uh, Putin's war. And Putin's war uh, has uh, increase gas prices at the pump. We have seen that over the past several months. And what the president was able to do, uh, he took some historic steps. So we feel better? No, I don't feel better. There are permits in the Gulf of Mexico that were applied for at the beginning of this year. And I've been told that if they had been issued six months after being issued, that there would be oil and gas from, from off the coast of Louisiana being processed for our consumers. By the way, creating American jobs along the way, not just in Louisiana, across the nation. Those permits have still not been issued. And if I told you the reason they weren't, you'd be screaming like that can't be true. But it is totally a technicality as to why they've not been. Go ahead. Uh, This administration has done what it can to make us more dependent upon others for energy. And we're paying the price. Senator, lastly... The military is kicking out 20,000 men and women because they won't get vaccinated and their religious exemption has been rejected. Should we be kicking out 20,000 people who don't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine when the pandemic is over? No, we should not, by the way. And the reason I base that as a physician is that is that as a physician is that we know that previous exposure works like a vaccine. Eighty percent of those folks statistically have been previously exposed to COVID. 80% of those people are um, uh, now immune, not because they've been vaccinated, but because they've been exposed. And probably in that age group, it may be close to 100%. If you want to follow the science, you would say the question here is immunity, not vaccination. And if they're immune, they should be allowed to stay. Uh, No matter what else you think, they're kind of ignoring the best science. And you're you're a doctor. And you're not just saying that. And and just real quick, when they say, well, like we tell the soldiers to get other the, the men and women who fight, told them to get other vaccinations, not a problem. Why is this a problem? What do you tell them? Yeah. So in 19, uh, the, the, the measles vaccine came out roughly 1958. There was a point in time where they would say either you've been vaccinated or you were born pre- prior to 1958, because if you're born prior to 1958, we know that you're already exposed. So we actually have precedent that if you've been previously exposed gotcha. to measles, you're considered to be immune, they should use that precedent here now, too. Senator Cassie, thanks so much. Uh, it's Senator Kennedy's thanks, up for election, not you. Uh, Senator Bill Cassie, hoping to get into the majority. Don't move. Kathy Lee Gifford's coming in next. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Who was the way? Who was this light that dawned in the darkness? 
His name was Jesus, Yeshua, the long-awaited Messiah. And from the people he encountered to the miracles he performed, Jesus forever transformed and redeemed the very world he came to die for. All right, and that's Kathy Lee Gifford doing the voiceover for what is a book. It's also, it's uh, The Way is the name of the is the name of the book, but it's also uh, The God of the Way, which is also a movie. Well, yeah, you got them switched up, but that's typical of you this, this late into your day. The movie was called The oh, Way. You know what? Oh, yeah, the movie. <laughs> wait, wait, is it really? Yeah, and the book is called The God of the Way. But uh, it doesn't matter. You're, you're so But you adorable. know what I'm talking about. Yes, I right. do. Right. It's, pro, it's pro-God. <laughs> Okay. Like you're not coming yes. out agnostic. No, you're not going to come out agnostic. I don't. You may come out sick of me. That's that's not unusual. It hit the but, New York Times list and it's our first week now, and now it's available on DVD. Is that correct? The film's available on DVD. Can you download it from YouTube or something too? Not yet. No, no. It'll be streaming pretty soon. Okay. It was a Fathom film. You, you know? just got back from Israel. Just got back. How'd yes. it go? It was a difficult trip this time. I hadn't been back in three and a half years because of COVID. And um, I had some some physical issues I didn't have when I was younger, uh, you know. And then we do really, really strenuous uh, hikes, and we go to places that you're, you know, your average tourist right. who goes to Israel, uh, you know, to get their picture taken with the camel on the Mount of Olives. You know, that's their trip to Israel. I'm not putting it down, but that's not the way we go. We go, and it's it's all day long, all day, like six in the morning to six. Are o'clock you seeing new stuff or the same stuff? Yeah, no, new stuff all the time. New stuff. It's really exciting. We go to this, you know. We, I take people that have never been there before, so you got to cover some of those things as well. But you'd find it fascinating because we study not just what the Bible says, because the Bible basically is a, for me, it's like a pen and ink painting. Uh, it, but when we when we go and we study uh, rabbinically, it's like getting all the cut. It's like giving it to Picasso to put in all the color, because you get geopolitical and cultural relativity, right. which just makes it all come alive. You're a historian. I love to study history. I missed my high school graduation because I was at the first Jerusalem conference on biblical prophecy in 1971. Wow. I was never all, even reason. then a, a Bible nerd. But I, I had a big struggle with the Bible that I studied because I didn't believe a lot of it. And it turns out I was right. They were bad translations. The Bible was written uh, is one book. It shouldn't have ever been uh, divided down the middle into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament starts after Jesus is born. Well, right. It, it starts with the book of Matthew, which is, you know, Matthew was a tax collector, and he was one of Jesus' disciples, one of the first original 12. Yeah, there's a, the last book of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, I mean, is uh, Malachi. There were 400 years of, of Jewish history between Malachi and Matthew. That uh, for some reason it was divided down the middle. That the, the, the Jews were the Old Testament, you know, the the law, the law, and the, and the New Testament was Jesus and 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 mercy mm-hmm. and and grace. Well, it's it's all one story of justice and mercy and grace, all of it, and all it's done is is uh, like so much in our life today and in our world. You guys talk about it every day. It divides us. And it was never meant to be a div- divisive thing. Right. It's a Jewish story, and that comes as a big surprise to an awful lot of people. So how long did it take before people, uh, the apostles or others, started writing things down? Oh, immediately. A lot of them were not even learned people, though. They weren't, they, they, they weren't Pharisees and Sadducees. They'd never been. But the oral tradition 
in uh, in the Jews is is has been heralded by everybody since the, that's the way heralded they, by accurate. You mean yes, uh, okay. yes, heralded by by people that are scholars who don't particularly believe in a, a truth of it. I mean, just the, just their their uh, um, uh, genealogies were just unbelievable. Did you ever see the Book of Eli? No, with Denzel Washington. Was it good? Yeah, but it's about that. It's about it's about that they they don't need a physical book in front of them. They have it here. Right. They have it here in their head, and they had it in their heart. But, the but what about people who say did the Dead Sea Scrolls? It was all they they it was they knew it all. They had it you know memorized. Right. The Dead Sea Scrolls. Where do they fit in? They fit in because um, and they just the found some new in the timeline. Oh well, the Dead Sea Scrolls came from the Aseans. And they, they're right there in Qumran is a place uh, very close to uh, the Dead Sea, right on the Dead right. Sea. The Aseans had been – well, it, it, I don't know how much you want to Do talk about Asians this stuff. you mean Aseans in Syria? No. Uh, they, the, Syria – The Aseans were, were students of the Bible. They were okay. zealots for the, okay. for the word of God. That's why they cared so much that every single letter in the Hebrew had to be written down perfectly. They could have spent an entire day on one, one part of the papyrus – and uh, and and they make one mistake at the end of the day because they're tired. Boom! Throw it out. It's got to be perfect. So, uh, and the only thing that I, the reason why I study the way I do is because the Old Testament, you have to read it and understand it in the in the Hebrew, the original Greek Hebrew uh, language, right. and you have to the same with the uh, the old the New Testament with the uh, the Greek. Now, is that Aramaic? They're, they no, that's separate. But they, but Jesus in Jesus's day, they did speak Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew in his day. Mm-hmm. Because I know Mill Gibson said that when he wanted to do um, uh, Passion of the Christ, Passion of the Christ, he said I had to go back and I wanted the original Aramaic. Imagine being an actor having to learn a new language and have it translated. Well, Some of the things Jesus overdue. said on the cross were actually Aramaic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so that's what he's. Do probably... you think that does that strike you as accurate, Mill Gibson's? You know what? I know, I know Mel. It's been a while. I know Mel, and I was actually uh, uh, I had he, he he asked me to host two um, two showings of the Passion of the Christ at my house in Connecticut before it came out. He was concerned about the had the way the Jewish community in New York, the you know the intelligentsia, the, the New York intelligentsia and media people were going to deal with the fact that. Um, there's been such enmity between Jews and Christians for centuries and centuries and centuries. Going back to what I talked about with tearing it down from, yeah. you know, one's for you guys, the Old Testament, and the other's for us. No, that's just could not be more wrong. That's the biggest misconception to, in my mind yeah. after studying. And again, I'm no biblical scholar, right. but I study with the world's greatest. But I have a passion for it. And I, I put I put my life's work towards it now, you know, um, making sure that what I say is accurate. And uh, and so I, I don't just assume that it is. I, I make sure. Yeah, you get the most out of every day. And certainly you were talking about you had a chance to look at your trophy cases right before. And you noticed some of the pictures that you had, how much you've experienced in your life. Yes, yes. So as you and knowing that so much still lies ahead, you're still still driven, right? Oh, my gosh, yes. But now I get to do what I – people say to me all the time, how could you have given up your dream job when you left Regis once? Then you left your dream job when you were working with Hoda. And I said, you're just assuming it's my dream job. Right. You know, my dream job when I was growing up, I wanted to be a net Funicello. I wanted to be Haley Mills. I wanted to be in a Barbra Streisand. I, you know, that, I wanted to be in the music industry and, and an actress and, and, and write stories. So now, finally, I have my dream job. 
Right. I was uh, played the clarinet up until seventh and eighth grade. I wanted to be in the music business. You and, wanted to be Benny I was, Goodman. I was asked to stop. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's terrible. I was um, asked not to sing. Yeah, were you? Uh, and I've had 16 albums and made a living as a singer for 40 years. Who asked you not to sing? My sister's voice teacher, Selma Gottlieb. Certain things you never forget. Right. So she was a lovely lady, but my sister was a natural singer. Great. Just a beautiful coloratura soprano. And I, I was, an, as you could tell, an alto. But, um, but uh, so I, I, I went to her teacher and sang a few scales and sang a song or something. And she looked at me very, very politely and put her hand on my hand. And she said, Kathy, stick to harmony, honey. Wow. And it, 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 she did me a great favor. So I remember because I got angry, right? And, and then got, I said, "I'm going to prove to her I can." Which sing. is a great quality, mm-hmm. which you kept your whole life. Well, yeah. So, my sister lost her colon. The great singer lost her colon from stress in the same industry that fed my my fantasies. You know. So I was. Um, huh, that's interesting. So I remember I was do, I was coming out of college. I wanted to do sports, and someone said, "Send your tape to this guy." So I sent my tape to this guy. I didn't get back to him. So I called him up. I got him on the phone. He goes, oh, "I remember your tape." It's really not very good. He goes, if you really love sports, try coaching. Think wow. about that. That wow. was nice. Yeah. That was encouraging. And did it do the same thing for you? Got oh, you yeah. Sh- yeah. I was I said, like, but I'll, I'll never forget him. it. Yeah. I, I go, that's the most interesting thing. He's like, you, you're basically, you're terrible. So thank you very much no, for the inspiration. No, you were just what they call green in our business. Thank you for but, spinning it positively. But you had the passion. I thought that's so. That's just it. What do you love doing? My daddy used to say to me, honey, find something you love to do and then figure out a way to get paid for it. And you've always reminded me of Regis because he did that too. He was told he had nothing going for him. He started out, you know, and he, he worked in, a, in the radio station, I think, at, the, at, at uh, Notre Dame. And he wanted to be one of those guys that was in the in the arena, you know. Right. And he he just got put down every time he turned around. But but what he had was something nobody else had: the ability to be Regis. Right. Be and himself. Be yourself. Yeah. God did not make a mistake with us, no matter what some people so think. So my, I think I told you this. My first, I, from my college radio station, I interviewed Regis, and yes. it was still, um, it wasn't a national show yet. Oh, excuse me, it was just about was the to become morning a national show. show. So the morning show. show. And I interviewed him. Just he greeted everybody as they left. Yeah. And then he sat on the couch with me with my microphone, and he said, "You know, my goal for the whole time was to get this network show. I had to get this network show because, but this is what I really enjoy. I realized this is the type of show I want to do, and things will take care of themselves. And obviously, he ends up with this syndicated show. Well, so that's the, that's when I joined him. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been together in the local show for three you, years yeah. before we did the, the syndicated. True. We were called the Morning Show in, exactly. in New York. So there's a story out now. I guess uh, Kelly Ripper's leaving. Uh, yeah. Uh, she's moving on. And she addressed, I think today, or the New York Post picked it up today, about her relationship with Regis, uh, who passed away at the age of 88, spending 10 years uh, ABC's live together. I didn't know it was 10 years, but she replaced you when you walked away. She said the pair was plagued by persistent rumors that they secretly loathed one another. And in 2017, Philbin claimed he'd never been asked back on the program, hadn't spoken to Ripper since the exit. She, though she did not, Ripa did not dispute Philbin's claim at the time, something she now regrets. In an interview with Andy Cohen, she said Ripa alleged that she has been targeted and unfairly maligned due to her silence on that issue. What is, do you know the reality there? Yes, but you're not going to get me to talk about it. No? You know why? Because I loved Regis with all my heart, and he was one of the greatest friends I've ever had in my life. I, we became even greater friends when I left the show. I was with him for 15 years, Mm -hmm. and then uh, he died 20 years later. So 35 years, he was one of my dearest friends. Um, And 
uh, I just feel very badly. Uh, the only thing I'll say is that I feel very badly for Joy and her and her daughters. How are they doing? Well, they're they're they're. This has just come out, so I don't know how I'll call, oh, about I'll call Joy. Thing. I just found out about it too. I I heard about it last week, and I was hoping mm-hmm. it was one of those things that wasn't true. Yeah, I, I know you have no problem answers. You're not going to answer something. I'm not going to put you in a spot. No, but, because uh, but because said, it, I don't want to get involved in something that'll just be you know um, ugly. The world makes things ugly. I'll just talk about uh, the man that I knew was one of the greatest guys I've ever known. Right, and um, I adored him, and uh, that's all I'll say. Um, yeah, she said, I, I guess she wrote, she said she wrote in the book, she wrote, I wish I had to set the record straight at the time. I really trusted the people around me as a woman who are often, we are often told to take the high road and that is woman speak. Uh, and that is woman speak to shut the blank up. So no, the high road is the high road. That's what I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. Taking the high road. (laughs) Yes. Uh, but it's a real thing, but I guess she is actually stepping aside, right? I didn't. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I never watched the show once after I left it. So, and you never went back. And on. I never watched the Today Show since I left it. You I never just, filled in or anything. I uh, didn't fill in for for Kelly. Uh, and no, I I went back. I think t- two th- two or three times. Um, but but it was only to promote something. I I I don't live in the past. I really believe people who live in the past are are doomed to die there. Right, <laughs> you know, honestly, I'm a I'm a right now kind of girl, and what are we having for lunch? Can we? Nobody knows more about TV than you, and think about how things have changed. When there was a late night show, the yeah. rivalry with Letterman and the rivalry with Leno, it made a movie. They did a movie. They did on movies it. about it. Best selling book on That's it. Was right. Fascinating to watch the ratings. Nobody cares now. I mean, Greg Gutfeld's got the highest ratings over the Tonight Show. I- and Colbert Report, that would seem to be impossible. People, I was thinking was about around. that yesterday because I've known Greg forever. I go way, way, way back with him, and I absolutely adore the guy. You know, but right. would I have thought one day he's going to have – he had that late show, the Red Eye thing. Right. Yeah, but, but, but it was very, very different, and uh, he's always had the talent. He just in, but, but, right. in, but, but just think about the landscape, the fact that The Tonight Show – Because his- it stopped being funny. Just like Saturday Night Live, stop being funny. It became just a political, you know. I don't. I get enough politics watching the news. I don't. I don't. It, it make me laugh. I love to laugh. I, I uh, James Corden is the closest. I the do old. like James Corden. Yeah, I've never met him, but I, I DVR it, so I'll watch in the morning to see if there's anything I could use on a show like this. And he's the only one worth taping. You know, but, he's an entertainer. The man, did you ever see him on Broadway? No, just he his won stuff the, He won a Tony Award on so, Broadway. He's brilliant. Right. He's an entertainer. At nature, I'm an entertainer. Regis was an entertainer. That's why I never said I was a journalist. I, I, back then, I had too much respect for, for real journalism. You know, okay. there are very few I, in the world today that, that I mean, I, I get a lot of opinions, but I don't know that I'm getting the facts. Uh, uh, journalism is, is, is not what it used to be. Oh, no, that doesn't I, mean there aren't great people still in it. There are. Right. But you gotta you gotta really uh search. Right. And hopefully you land in the right place. Uh well I'm uh, talking to you, Cookie. Well thank and Cookie is my nickname. So that's so <laughs> un- unusual. Uh so listen, when we come back we have a few more minutes with Kathy Lee, who's kind enough to come in the radio. This is mandatory now. Anytime you come in the I building, you have to, to do the radio. You. you always get me in trouble. That's true. <laughs> but you didn't get in trouble this time. Back in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
this issue around the gender binary has 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 taken up way too much space uh, in the public conversation. Uh, I think that people are weary of it. I think that people having to put the she's and the this and that and the pronouns on their, their Zoom, all of that stuff starts to send a signal, I think, to working class voters that, that these people are not concerned about the things that affect me every day. They're not <laughs> concerned about inflation. They're not concerned about, which is not to say you can't be, care about everybody, but there's something that's out of balance. And so I think that when we start sending the cultural signal that we're more concerned about the, the, the pronoun you put on your Zoom call then we are concerned about the fact that you don't have a house or a job. I think the party's off track. And that is Van Jones, obviously key aide to President Obama. Nobody thinks that he's a right-wing zealot. But he's saying what many logic people are saying, like Bill Maher, who will vote for any Democrat, Kathy Lee uh, Gifford. And that is, what are you talking about? Second graders should not be told you can pick your gender. You should not be learning about sexual relations uh, in these times. You can't be talking about binary, non-binary, and all these things that are going on. People don't even know where this came from when 60% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. Well, we've lost perspective completely on what is important to people. And uh, and I, I don't care if you're a Republican or anything. Uh, people care about their children, and they care about what their children are learning, and they care about feeding them nutritious food, and they care about being able to get to a job they're grateful to have, and they can't even afford to get to the job uh, because of, of the price of, of gas. And I think you're just foolish on either side of the aisle for thinking that something that, that polls all the way down at the bottom is the least interesting, I mean, the, the, or the least important to, to people. Concentrate. If you want to get people's vote, concentrate on those top three and give them real solutions to them, whether you're a Republican or, either, or Democrat on either side. That would be the smart thing to do. Right. Uh, if you actually try to solve people's problems, we used to debate different ways to solve problems. Now no. we can't identify the problem. No, because you've just... already been labeled a racist or a bigot or something before you even begin to discuss. Kathy Lee, thanks so much. It's always That's fun. It. Sorry. I'm in Half trouble hour. again. Love you. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, and that was Carl Rove at the end, bring me back down to earth. I was enjoying my life, my self-esteem was high, and suddenly I crashed. Hi, everyone, from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Dan Hoffman at the bottom of the hour, former CIA station chief in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan, uh, South Asia, and Europe. Uh, I want to focus on Vladimir Putin. If anyone knows him, can figure him out. It's the former CIA guy who used to work there. And we're lucky to have, if you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize a former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, former South Carolina governor, author of a brand new book, If You Want Something Done, Leadership Lessons from Bold Women. Nikki Haley's here. Welcome back, Governor. Thanks. It's always uh, great to be with you. It's great Nikki. to see you. Those are moments in time. Well, we'll see. And Nikki, I guess, and, and the, the view doubts that you're, uh, that's your real name. You know, I mean, it's so ridiculous when they have nothing else. And they, this is not the first or last time they've beat me up on something. But when you go and you pick on something like your name and you don't do your homework, it means we're winning, right? And How did so, you find out about it? 
Because I'm sure you were my watching. My phone started blowing up, and everybody started texting, and then my office contacted me. And but you know, it's it's amazing anybody still watches that show. But they can't stand the liberals can't stand a minority conservative female not being a Democrat. They Why? just can't because we totally ruin their narrative. You know, they say that they're the party of minorities. They say they're the party of women. No, they're not. Because, you know, when you say you're the party of minorities, then why is it that you think that minorities are incapable of going to the DMV to get an ID so that they can vote? If you say you're for minorities, why is it that you say that parents, minority parents can't decide which school their kids should go to? You know, if you say you're for women, then why is it that you say how women should think and feel and you don't let them have their own individual opinions? and do So, you know, no, they're not the party of minority or women. And I think what we show as conservatives is Republicans have solutions that lift up everybody, not one segment of the population. Uh, I understand that. And uh, growing up in South Carolina, it's mostly Republicans these days, right? That's right. But if you think back to the civil rights and everything, it was mostly Democrats. And it was conservative Democrats for a long time. How did it switch? Was it, you know, people point out to... Uh, you know, Republic, obviously Lincoln was a Republican. And, and now if you're a Republican, you only like uh, white people. That's where they want to label it. What switched it? Do you remember the time in which the Democrats were mostly the segregationists of this country and the pushback was against them? And now it looks like they're the tolerant group? You know, I think to them, I think the Democrats left a lot of people because when you had conservative Democrats, you know, they weren't as extreme as they are now. And, you know, so people feel like they've left family values. They feel like they've left freedoms. They feel like they've gone into more government control and they've been the party of high taxes. And I think that's when you saw a lot of conservative Democrats become Republicans. And then, you know, I'll tell you from my parents, and I say this to the Republican Party, is they were Democrats until Reagan, not because they were actually Democrats, but because Republicans wouldn't talk to them. And so that's why it's so important that Republicans continue to go and talk to groups that don't look and act like your traditional Republicans. Now, you're going to be really sick of me by the end of the day because we're doing outnumbered together. We're going to have so much fun. Yeah, so we have, do we have two segments here? We have two segments? Okay, good. Because we'll talk about your book next. I do want to talk about who I talked to today, and that's Herschel Walker. As you know, the Daily Beast has a story on Sunday that says that he paid for a, a woman's abortion in 2009, but she did not give her name. And their second source was the woman's friend, which is odd. And they came out with a receipt that says this was the card he sent with the check in it. We haven't seen the check. Uh, Herschel Walker says, I don't know who this is, what you're talking about. I never did it. And then his son came out and said this, cut 14. I was saying lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. So he went on to basically answer that when I played that for him on Fox and Friends Cut 12. I love my son unconditionally, and I, that's where I've always been. I always love him unconditionally. You know, he graduated college uh, a couple of months ago. He's now a young man doing his own thing, but his father is always there for him. I always will be for any, any of my kids, and I love him. I always support him, and I always have supported him, and I always will, and I love him unconditionally. So that's basically how he answered, and when I asked him if it's true or not, cut 13. He's doing uh, tremendous damage to you by coming out with those statements. Do you know why he's saying this? Well, the damage he's doing is letting people know that the left will do whatever they can to win the seat. 
And I told you when I got in this race, I'm going to win this seat. People see someone sitting here in front of you right now that's been redeemed. And I want America to know I'm living proof that you can make mistakes and get up and keep going forward. But you can only do it in this country right here. And you can only do it if we get this election correct this come November. Because we vote for the people on the left, like the guy running against Senator Warnock. You're not going to have a chance to be redeemed. He's a minister and he he don't believe in redemption. Right now, they're trying to destroy right. America. They're trying to destroy Georgia. And I'm not going to let them happen. It ain't going to happen on my watch. So you can't get into politics and not expect to have a crisis. This is one of them. How is he doing? You know, I mean, I think, first of all, politics. You were just with him, right? Yeah. I, I think it's been about a month ago I was campaigning with him. And, you know, I actually had the conversation that, you know, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you. Um, and, you know, I think this is the kitchen sink. The hard part is politics is a blood sport. And when it goes and involves your family, it really cuts deep because we don't know the background of him and his son. We don't know the background of him and his woman. My advice to him would be tell the truth, whatever it is, tell the truth. Um, You know, people are very forgiving. But, you know, I'll also say you look at Warnock and here's a guy that has no problem with open borders and wanting people to come through illegally. He just doesn't want them in his state. You know, he's for he's been for defund the police. You know, he hasn't wanted transparency for parents. He is about as liberal as it gets. There are no perfect candidates. Herschel is not a perfect candidate. There are no perfect politicians. Right. We know that. What we do want from our politicians is— And if they're so perfect, you wonder what else they're hiding. That's exactly right. What we do want is everybody's flawed. Just tell us the truth and and tell the people of Georgia what you believe in. And I will tell you, the people of Georgia really love him. Flawed and all, they really love him because they feel like he's genuine and honest with them. Right, and I, I've seen it out there. For some reason, he's not been, been able to get the black vote, yet his story is rural America growing up uh, in a time in which it was not easy, and even his area will mostly go to Warnock, not him, I guess when you're a reverend in the black community, that certainly gives you an upside. But, but you know Georgia. Well, and I'll tell you, the, keep in mind, it's not that he can't get the black vote. Republicans really need to look at expanding the tent. The only reason we don't get the black vote is because we don't have Republicans going and talking to them. Because when you ask them what they care about, they all care about their kids' education. They all care about family values. They all want their kids to have a better life than they did. They all want safe streets. So, you know, that just means we've got to do a better job helping candidates like Herschel and Dr. Oz and all those others go out and show people that we're the party of solutions for everyone. So if you ask the Democrats who their upcoming stars were, almost every Democrat would say Stacey Abrams. But in almost every poll, the the length between her and Kemp grows. It's about eight now. She says because mostly they only sample white people. I've never heard that before, but that's interesting. Now she also wants to rewrite history and say she never denied uh, the election results. Listen to her try to uh, try to take this issue on Cut 17. Is there any scenario under which you would concede that you lost publicly in 2018? In 2018, on the day I made that speech, if you played the beginning of the speech, I acknowledged that I was not the governor, that Brian Kemp won the election. What I said is that the process denied access to too many voters, and that was proven by more than 3,000 voters who made their voices heard by a trial and a process that was the first full-length trial held on voting rights in more than a decade in the state of Georgia. I have never denied the outcome. But the problem is we've been taping her denials. Cut 18. This is not a speech of concession. It was not a free and fair election. The game was rigged against the voters of Georgia. And I do have one very affirmative statement to make. We won. 
If it looks like it's rigged, it probably is. But I didn't lose. I got the votes. So, I mean, does she expect us not to know this and play this? It's amazing to me. Democrats think that if they tell you something, you'll believe them. They really play everybody for fools. And first of all, for her to say that only white people answer polls, that's racist. You have to call her out. That is a racist comment. She shouldn't get away with that. Secondly, it's so hypocritical that she's now saying she never said that. We know she said it, but let's get to the point. I was campaigning for Brian Kemp about a month ago. He is savage, savage. He's been a great governor, first governor in the country to open up his state, first governor in the country to make sure his schools were open. He made sure that he, even when they threw everything at him, he stood strong and fought for the people of Georgia. And you can see it in the polls. Nikki Haley's here. Her book is now out. Um, If you want something done and basically give it to a woman. Uh, And the book's out now. It features some prominent women that I think will inspire you, yourself, uh, and maybe your daughters, if you have them, or your sister, no matter uh, what the course may be, or anybody in America. But uh, Nikki, in particular, we're looking at issues now that driving this country are no longer really abortion. It's very June. Not saying it's not important, but it seems to be crime. It seems to be inflation. It seems to be the economy. And now, thanks to Abbott and DeSantis, the border. You know, I mean, first of all, I've traveled all over the country. We've been to a dozen states, I think, recently, and they're all saying the same things. The economy's going up. If you look at what OPEC did today, get ready. Your gas prices are about to go up even higher. Um, You've got 60 percent of people in credit card debt now. 30 percent are dipping into their savings. People are feeling a world of hurt. But the border and crime are a huge issue across this country. They want to know that their child can ride their bike down the street and not have to worry. They want to know they're not going to get carjacked. They want to know that all these illegal immigrants, that we know who they are and we know where they are. And we don't. You can't say that. And I, you got to give credit to Abbott when he initially said, our state can't hold it anymore, so y'all take it. And now the hypocrisy again of them saying, oh, wait. You know, that's so abusive that you're sending them to our state. Well, was it not abusive ah, when you uh, sent them to Texas? It's and crazy. No, and I think these governors are doing exactly the right thing. But instead of blaming DeSantis and Abbott, what they need to be doing is blaming Biden. At what point are you going to say to Biden? At what point does every one of those Democrat governors say to Biden, hey, wait, can you do something about this? Because the answer is close the border. DeSantis and Biden will be together, President Governor and they've been harsh critics of each other. Harsh. What do you think it'll be like? Uh, did you ever have that when you were governor dealing with President Obama? Were you governor at that time? Yes. Yeah, so um, it's actually it's interesting because there were two different times that I had to deal with President Obama. One was um, we had Hurricane Matthew. It hit South Carolina very hard and we needed them. And, and he came. But with the church shooting. He came and look. I met. He him. nailed it. Uh, he was beautiful. He was it, great. At it that. was his. It was his best moment. But and so he, it was great for you too. That was sincere for you. Look, we all needed to come together. You know, the people of South Carolina were hurting, and there were no Republicans or Democrats at that point. It was we had to support those nine families. So I met him at the plane. I welcomed him him into my state, and there was not an issue of party. And so what I hope and what I think DeSantis is going to do is, look, he needs Biden to help make sure his people get back on their feet. And I'll tell you one thing that nobody talks about with a hurricane. You know, all of this while it's on TV, it looks real pretty. But when it goes off TV, FEMA is not your saving grace. FEMA is bureaucratic, it's slow, and a lot of families are going to be hurting. And what 
Governor DeSantis is going to do, and he knows this, and every other Florida governor or governor of a hurricane state knows, is you've got to really go and build these people back up because there's nothing worse than rain and mold and all that sets in, and they lose their houses, and they don't have insurance. It gets tough. In the beginning, it's adrenaline, and then it becomes very depressed. People get depressed, and when things move slow, they look to blame. So these governors get judged what happens weeks after, not uh, hours after. The key is not what happens when the hurricane hits. The key is what happens two, right. three months after that. So uh, Nikki Haley is going to be here for Outnumbered. But when we come back, we're going to talk about a few of the women in your book. And we have a few more minutes after that because MSNBC was laughing at Fox for something that may surprise you. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, so if you want something done, Leadership Lessons from Bold Women uh, from Bold Women is now out. It's uh, put together and written by Nikki Haley, former U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and former South Carolina governor, who's going to be here for a few more minutes. Uh, out of all the, the women that stood out, the one that probably most people know is Golda Meir. Extraordinary every way. Can you set the scene when she emerged on this with this brand new nation? You know, it's amazing if you look at the story of Golda because she was, um, you know, born from a poor family, you know, struggled all the way through. But she became such a problem solver. Like her parents just wanted her to go off and get married and not do anything. But when she saw what happened with the Holocaust, she very much believed that the Jewish people had to find a place that they were safe and they couldn't ever depend on anyone else again. So she went and was one of the founders of Israel. But then even when they were having wars, she went and raised money so that they had the military strength to fight back. She never saw a problem she couldn't solve. And she did it with her heart all the way until the end. An amazing woman. And I remember this staunch conservative that most conservatives really worship is Jean Kirkpatrick. She had your old job. She did. And, you know, that's one of the reasons First I First woman to, to have it, right? Yes. And she, what I loved about Jean Kirkpatrick was, one, she was an academic. She wasn't a politician. Um, she actually would say she wasn't a personally tough person, but you'd never know it if you heard a speech at the U.N. or how she handled it. But she was the one that blamed Democrats for always blaming America first. And when she went to the Republican National Convention, she was a Democrat. She switched parties because she couldn't stand the anti-American stance that Democrats continued to have. She thought they needed to love America. She thought they needed to defend America. And she thought they needed to quit blaming America for all their problems. Right. And that's still happening today to the 10th power. Oh, it's why it's so amazing. It's that what she was saying about Democrats then continues to be, it's like they haven't learned the lesson. I want you to hear this because most likely you weren't watching this channel, but we know fentanyl's a problem in this country, right? Mm-hmm. We know where it comes from, the border and manufactured by China. Listen to this. So drug dealers would be given away. Um, Not drug dealers, the illegals that are here. Yeah. They just crossed because Biden has our, or our border wide open. Okay, so the illegals that have, have houses that then the kids are coming to knock on the illegals' houses doors that and they're drug dealers that are giving the uh the children their drugs look at fox news all you gotta do is watch an episode of fox news and fox news will tell you that the the coming across our borders it's going into our playground they're going to be giving it away during halloween yes I, I I just I just I just love Devram. How yeah, you just you're like okay. Let me let me let me. Fi- let, I just got to figure out what it is you're actually telling me here. <laughs> I 
and, right, and, yeah, and just the point that 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 there is this belief that drug dealers are are who knew so giving right just giving away right. drugs for free yeah. So the fact that it looks like Skittles or Nerds or candy has everyone worried. They think it's hysterical. It's You're, not you... funny. It's not funny. You ask any state, they're all dealing with deaths from fentanyl. I mean, we had enough fentanyl cross the border um, that would kill every single American in July. And don't think for a second China doesn't know what they're doing. We are not over-exaggerating this. They know what they're doing, that it's crossing the border. They know these cartels are getting it across there. And this is not... You know, this is not an issue of kids who are druggies. These are kids who might just, like, take an Adderall. Right. These are kids that might, like— they concentrate in absolutely. school to stay up. So Ritalin. when it's pink or blue or green, you go back and you say, okay, what if a 7-year-old sees this? Then what's going to happen? It's not funny. I didn't think so. Go. I know it's also not funny, but a great book is your book. Uh, it's called If You Want Something Done. Nikki Haley, thanks so much. I will see you in 90 minutes. Sounds great. Look forward to it. All right. When we come back— uh, Dan Hoffman, is Vladimir Putin, is his days numbered? From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We don't know. I, I think it's unlikely, but possible. And I think the more that the Ukrainians continue to seize ground in the east and in the south, I think the more desperate Putin becomes. I mean, look, this has been a strategic failure in multiple ways since it began in February. And now, finally, the Russian people are speaking up. You have protests going on throughout the country. Hundreds of thousands of Russians have left Russia to avoid this draft. I think Putin continues to paint himself in a corner with, without any and limiting his options to get out of this mess he's created. Uh, that is Mark Esper, former Secretary of Defense and Secretary of the Army. Daniel Hoffman joins us now, former CIA station chief, talking about things on the ground. The reality is the Ukrainians are picking up massive amount of land, and now they're focusing on Kyrgyzstan uh, because the Russians don't seem in many respects being able to stop the onslaught. Dan, welcome back. What do you think? I think we've come a long way from the day that uh, the Biden administration offered President Zelensky a flight out of Ukraine, you know, at the ver- when the invasion occurred, February 24th. That was our answer. And Zelensky said, I don't need, you know, a flight out. I need ammunition. The fight is here. That's it. And Ukraine has taken the fight to the enemy. We've seen a blistering counteroffensive through Kharkiv. Uh, Lehman, the major city that, with the logistical hub and, and a gateway to Donbass, they captured that. Kherson is a real test, and, and the thing that I'm looking for right now is can Ukraine dial it up before the fighting season, which is kind of drawing short now. Once the winter sets in, it gets much more difficult for Ukraine to move and liberate more territory. We could be looking at a, at a kind of a, a stalemate there during the winter, depending upon how severe the conditions become. Right, but didn't they invade in, in February, and didn't they leave the troops there in the dead of winter just to sit in their tanks and wait for the orders? Yeah, so that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to you and me. And I'm wondering about those guys in that convoy thinking just the same thing as they were getting picked off by, you know, Ukrainian forces. General Esper, Secretary Esper is 100 percent right. This has been a massive strategic failure for Vladimir Putin, and he's desperate. That's why he's mobilized Russian forces for the first time since the Second World War. It's why he's illegally annexing more territory. But that's a Potemkin village. They don't even own the territory. They don't occupy it to annex it. Uh, and, and of course, he's making nuclear threats because the Biden administration parrots back with fears of World War III, which is exactly what Putin wants. 
deter us from giving Ukraine what they need to take the fight to the finish. So this is, I'll tell you what the ISW, in, internet, uh, the International Study of War, says Russia's failures around Lyman uh, has galvanized strong and direct criticism of the commander there. His commander is Alexander Lapin, who supposedly commanded the Lyman group that got routed. The criticism originated from this Silka, Silkovic group, spearheaded mm-hmm. by Chechnyan strongman Roman Kodroz, Kodroz, uh, and the Wagner Group financier. Uh, mm-hmm. So they together are critical of the standing Russian army. What does that tell you? Because both those groups can fight, Wagner Group and the Chechnyans. They know how to fight. You say nobody well, else knows how to command or fight. Am I right? Yeah, they're not doing too well either. That, this is Ramzan Kadyrov, the, the head of, you know, the leader of Chechnya, and uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin, who is the, the leader of, uh, of the Wagner Group. And, you know, they've sent their guys to go get slaughtered in Ukraine as well. These are the ultra-nationalist hawks in Russia who represent the greatest threat to Vladimir Putin's regime security because they're saying, hey, you told us this is a special military operation. You would topple the, the Zelensky government in a matter of days. And what are we doing in, in the eighth month? losing. And so they're looking for scapegoats. And the the question for Vladimir Putin, you know, is what happens with his inner circle? Are they going to be nervous that, that the defense minister Shoigu might be removed or the head of the FSB, uh, Bortnikov, or the national security advisor, Patrushev? And if they see themselves being targeted by Putin, do they aim their, aim their sights on Putin first? I mean, this is extraordinarily destabilizing for a country with enough nuclear weapons to wipe us all off the planet. And, and that's where the Biden administration has got to mount uh, a really effective public narrative and then back-channel discussions with, with, with senior Russian officials. You really think there, there's, there's a chance they're going to use tactical nukes when it's never been done before? And studies show for civilians like me that every time they, game, uh, they, uh, they war game it out, it ends up blowing back in their face, and they become victims of their own attack. Here's Mark Esper, Cut 30. I think anywhere between 1 to 10 kilotons. You're right, Hiroshima uh, was 15 kilotons, killed 70,000 people, destroyed five square miles of territory around the city. And I think the way he would deliver it, most likely in these cases, is through a, a gravity bomb delivered by an aircraft or some type of Iskander cruise missile. I would argue the thing for the administration to do is to bring the allies together now, uh, talk about be back-channeling to Moscow, but publicly say, look, if we see some type of strategic indication that you're pulling tactical nuclear weapons out of the storage areas, we're going to put an air cap up above Ukraine, and we're going to shoot down anything that comes uh, toward Ukraine that might be carrying a nuclear weapon. Uh, There are things like that we could do to prevent this, to kind of calm this down and keep Putin contained. Your thoughts? Listen, I served in Russia for five years, and I'm going to tell you, in spite of the five years I served there, I speak like near-native Russian. I never cease to be amazed at how much worse things could be than we imagined. So I got three concerns about Russia's nuclear weapons. One, uh, that they might use tactical nuclear weapons. doesn't make a lot of sense. Ukrainian forces are dispersed. It would literally blow back on Russian civilians and their forces. But, hey, look, we can stop applying the rational actor model to Vladimir Putin. He has not been rational, at least when it comes to from the way we would look at things. It's maybe rational for him, but not in a, in a larger sense. The second concern, proliferation, where the Russians might, you know, somebody might get a hold of these weapons. The Russians might provide them to someone, you know, potentially uh, that, that could, could use them. And, and that's of concern. Uh, and the third one is a loose nuke scenario where the Russians, the government simply doesn't have control over their 
um, over their nuclear arsenal. And, and those are three things that, that are always of concern. It's the same thing for North Korea. And, and I'm telling you, it would be the same thing for Iran. God forbid we allow Iran to, to, to have a nuclear capability. Uh, that's some, we ought to be thinking about that right now as we deal with Russia, because you know, that revolutionary regime with a nuclear capability would be extraordinarily uh, an extraordinary threat to the United States. And I don't see a Biden administration plan to stop that from happening, not to digress too much, but that's a concern as well. So, look, these are all great concerns, and I'll just highlight this. It really hinges on our intelligence community to collect the intelligence on Russia's plans and intentions, how their military is going to react. It's not as simple as Putin pressing a button. There's a chain of command and how those guys react in the event they were given an order Mm -hmm. to move nuclear weapons, tactical ones or strategic ones, and then even use a tactical nuclear weapon. Those are things we've got to collect on. And again, we've got a back channel message to Russians in private not to do this or else they will face um, significant reaction from us. Dan, and, and I agree with Secretary Esper. Those are, that's a, those are good things to be thinking about. I know you live in the intelligence realm, and you got to think of worst-case scenario. But right now, the reality on the ground is that everything Vladimir Putin's done has been wrong. And now that uh, trying to mobilize 200,000, 300,000 people has caused massive protests and exits in a way in which I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. And they've, they, they're trying to avoid drafting certain families and trying to get other ones. And the other ones are just leaving. So if he's losing on the battlefield, if he can't mount a 300,000-man additional force, uh, how much longer is his, is his inner circle going to tolerate uh, such idiotic behavior? Right. That's the key. Vladimir Putin is more desperate right now than he's ever been. His regime, regime security is more tenuous today than it's ever been. And that, I would argue, makes him more dangerous than he's ever been to the region, to the world to the United States. And so this is going to require the Biden administration to paraphrase uh, former British uh, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. Please don't go wobbly on this one. Uh, This this administration needs to show message discipline when they're speaking publicly. Stop mentioning World War III as if we're going to be deterred from giving Ukraine the artillery with the range they need. We're still not doing that, and we need to. The way this ends is for Ukraine to end it. And, And the Russians have killed too many Ukrainian civilians, bombed too many hospitals, maternity wards, schools. Ukraine's not going to stop until they finish the job, and we should help them do it. All right, I want to give you an idea of what the tactics would be should they threaten or should they actually do nukes. And number two is some of the growing opposition to us giving them all the money we're giving them. First, David Petraeus. can still get worse for Putin and for Russia, and even the use of tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield won't change this at all. Jake Sullivan has publicly stated that the U.S. has communicated to Russia what would happen Uh, in response to that. And what would happen? Well, again, I have deliberately not talked to Jake about this. I mean, just to give you a hypothetical, um, we would respond by leading a NATO, a collective effort, that would take out every Russian Russian conventional force that we can see and identify on the battlefield in Ukraine and also in Crimea and every ship in the Black Sea fleet. how do you feel about it? I mean, we could. NATO go blow up everything they have, kill every one of their soldiers in theater. The ones that don't have uniforms probably don't, don't, don't fight anyway. Yeah, so I, let me preface this by saying that I worked for David Petraeus at CIA. I served with him in Iraq. He's a friend and somebody I, I believe um, is spot on with his national security analysis. So he's been through a lot of contingency planning in his life when it comes to intelligence and, and military. And what he's talking about is wargaming. And I would not be the least bit surprised if this is exactly what we have wargamed uh, 
you know, to, to prepare ourselves in the event of this sort of scenario. It's never been beyond the realm of possibility that Russia would use a tactical nuclear weapon on European soil. And I think we probably wargamed how we would respond. And I think we probably told the Russians, not just now, but years and years ago as well, like this is what will happen if you ever think of doing this. Uh, so I, I, I think, uh, you know, my estimation at least is that is that uh, David Petraeus is spot on as usual. And my sense is he doesn't want to know everything, but he probably – consulted with the current administration to a degree because he goes out of his way not to be political and not to insult anyone outside Trump. I think he's got trouble yeah. dealing with well, Trump. I think, but. Yeah, no, I think what he, he's, he probably never talked to the administration about this, but it's, again, based on his historical knowledge of wargaming in the past, and I'm not so sure that the, the tactics or the strategy has changed much at all over the past decade in terms of what we would consider doing if Russia used a tactical nuclear weapon uh, and, and in many ways, it's no different than if Russia were to attack a NATO member like Estonia or Latvia. What would we do then? Well, we, we'd respond militarily to what that if we, attack, and we would we, destroy Russia's right. uh, forces, invading forces. Yeah, there's worry that they're going to hit Poland because that seems to be where the supplies are coming yeah. out of. Uh, here's Congressman Chris Stewart of Utah, Republican, cut 27. But at some point, once the battle begins to settle, you have to ask yourself, OK, what is our goal in Ukraine? Is it what? President Zelensky says, and that's when he says, we're going to expel every Russian from Crimea, for example. Well, I think for many of us, we recognize that as an incredibly dangerous precedent or, 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 or suggestion that we might do that. And I think it's probably something the American people wouldn't support. So is that something I think that military people and intelligence people like you have to think about? How would Putin react? How about the American people that are experiencing some economic strife right now and wonder where the $627 billion is go, million dollars is going and where the $15 billion is? So th- those are a bunch of different issues that are important. First of all, we do need – that's why I've always said we need people on the ground in Ukraine, embassy people, to track how the money is being spent. Uh, that's obviously really important because that's our treasure and we're spending it in Ukraine. But let's make it clear – we are the arsenal for democracy. We could appease Vladimir Putin and let him keep some of his ill-gotten gain. Let's remember that he illegally annexed Crimea and attacked uh, the Donbass back in 2014. So, no, they don't get to keep that. I'm sorry. I don't agree with um, our elected representative from Utah. I'd have a, a, a respectful debate with him on that subject. But I think the American people need to understand that we're, we're standing up for liberty, freedom, and democracy. And if you don't like Vladimir Putin and what he's doing to the world economically, uh, blackmailing us, well, then he needs to be, you know, he needs to be stopped. And if we don't stop him here, it's only going to get worse. Just look back at what happened in the Second World War. Um, you know, Prime Minister Churchill had a great quote about that, you know, where, where each, each nation thought that the crocodile would be finished eating after they lopped off a piece of, you know, the Czechoslovakia or Poland or whatever else. No, the, the crocodile's not done. And so we have to finish with Vladimir Putin first. And I I'll, I'll tell you, Brian, I've said these things. I've had these discussions just offering my opinion when asked um, to uh, to senior folks in, in, in the administration, too. And they weren't telling me what they were doing. But I just said, look, I don't think there's any negotiating with Vladimir Putin. He's battling down the road trying to destroy everything he can. And, and there's no off ramp for him. And, and that's that's going to be the challenge, because if he loses his ruthless grip on the regime in, in the Kremlin, uh, the transition of power could be 
very, very disruptive and uh, destabilizing. And the guy who replaces him could be one of those ultra-nationalist hawks who could be even more dangerous. So we kind of need to draw a line here. And a nuclear power doesn't just get to go annex territory illegally. Like, that's got ramifications for China and Taiwan. Uh, and, and other places around the world. So I'm sorry I wouldn't let Russia keep Donbass or Crimea. I'm with you, Dan. Uh, I know it's uh, not easy, uh, but I just think people have to – the American people need to be explained this. It's not yes, just, hey, the Ukrainians are great people. 100%. Explain it. I mean, if I, if I – as a citizen, I would love for – you know, President Reagan had a way of, of – grabbing the bull, standing behind the bully pulpit there and explaining to the American people what we were doing and why. I'll never forget when we bombed Libya, and he, he gave that great address on television and explained why we were doing it. And we're not seeing that right now, and this is a time for President Biden to message our citizens, but also the rest of the world and Russia. This is the most dangerous time in our history since the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago, almost exactly. And we'd kind of like to see the president get up and deliver the right kind of speech right now. Dan Hoffman, always educational and informational. Uh, Dan Hoffman, thanks so much. It's one of these times in which it, oh, so much of this is unprecedented. Not many people thought eight months ago that Putin would be in such dire straits right now, but the Ukrainians have surpassed everything. Just let them finish the job. Uh, Dan Hoffman, thank you. Okay, thanks. one 408 7669 I'll take your calls when we come back. A lot to discuss. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. That is Michael Kay's call on Aaron Judge's uh, kind of a home run drought. He's hit one, I think, over the last 10 days, and then he finally got number 62 yesterday. And I just think it's really hard not to like this guy. I mean, there's so many people who either love the Yankees or hate the Yankees. And I said during the Yankees run in 96, it's hard to hate these guys. They came up through the minor leagues. They weren't a bought team. They're not a group of all-stars. They're self-made stars. And now you have this era coming up who are always in contention, but they haven't won at all. Maybe this is the year. And maybe Judge goes out and wins the Triple Crown. I don't know. But what I find unique about this, Mantle was being was pushing Roger Maris. I think he ends up with 56 homers. Maris ends up with the new record, beats Babe Ruth at 61. So tense, his hair was falling out, prime of his life. Never really repeated. He got an injury to his forearm, I thought. And we, when he went to the Cardinals, never repeated. Close to this type of success, Mantle went on to... Uh, to do more, I think, over 500 home runs. But that would be it. And then you had these guys uh, bust the record, like McGuire. He admitted he cheated. Sammy Sosa, we all know he cheated. And we all know that Barry Bonds cheated, although he never admitted it. But he's not in the Hall of Fame for a reason. This should be the single-season home run record. Even though Aaron Judge says, no, I grew up on the West Coast worshiping Barry Bonds, that's the record holder. We know he's not. And that's baseball's problem. They hope things just go away. Pete Rose will just go away. The home run king, not in the World Series, 700 and uh, uh, 750. 755 for uh, Hank Aaron. Yep. From the Fox 
News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Rich Lowry is going to be here shortly. Uh, and then we'll have a replay of my interview with Herschel Walker. Uh, first one since his son came out, kind of blowing him up as a dad. Uh, and um, I guess as a person, I just can't believe he would do it at this time. If whatever you have as a problem, it's amazing how he's kept it quiet this time. But you'll hear that. Uh, and we have a lot to discuss today. We know the Governor DeSantis is going to be welcoming the President of the United States into the Fort Myers area, most heavily hit by that hurricane last week. So these are two harsh critics of each other, shoulder to shoulder. We'll see how that goes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. And I think the more that the Ukrainians continue to seize ground in the east and in the south, I think the more desperate Putin becomes. I mean, look, this has been a strategic failure in multiple ways since it began in February. Uh, yeah, it has been. Mark Esper, former Secretary of Defense, no one predicted this, but right now Putin's time to panic. His army is being routed, reserves are called up, hundreds of thousands left the country. He's, it's a huge brain drain. Let's not get wobbly, Joe. Let Zelensky finish the job and give him the weapons he needs. Number two. I, I hope everyone can see. It's sort of like everyone is anonymous or everyone is leaking and they want you to confess to something you have no clue about, but it just shows how desperate they are right now. Race they, by, they energize me. Uh, race by race, from Herschel to Fetterman to Abrams, we look at the breaking news around the races that matter most in emerging issues, pushing both parties to uh, to act. Like, for example, we just heard a huge OPEC production cut, 2,000 barrels a day. Amazing. Number one. I can't find another story in the history of our country that has been actually so suppressed. Suppressed actually is in a, a complete blackout. There has not been one credible interview on refuting anything I've said. Uh, that is Tony Bobolinsky speaking up with much more detail now. Now it's pretty clear he was being defrauded along with the rest of the country by the Biden family. He blows up Biden in a detailed way that lays out the challenges to all media and a negligent FBI to once and for all do their job in an hour-long interview. First 30 minutes, no commercials with Tucker Carlson. Rich Lowry uh, is with us now, editor of Nash Review. Rich, I was pretty impressed with uh, Bobolinsky the first time around, even more now. The guy is an uh, extremely bright intelligence officer, backed up everything he said, and now he realizes he was being defrauded by the Bidens. Yeah, this obviously everyone would know his name if this were reversed and a Republican were in office and this allegation was being made against the Republican president's uh, son and family in, in general. And this has always been the, the the potential dynamite under Biden's presidency. We know he lied when he said that he didn't know anything about Hunter's dealings. I mean, that's been uh, established up and down and all the circumstantial evidence points to that being false. The key thing is, was he benefiting financially, right? And and this is this is where um, Bobolinsky uh, has potentially explosive information, and there might be more out there. So I, I have I have friends, um, you know, usually I'm not of a conspiratorial point of point of view, but I have friends that say, you know what, if if the the powers that be, you know, the media just decide that Biden needs to go and they don't want him to run in 2024, 20, this would be the guarantee. Just you know, the New York Times finally pays 
more attention to this than they have already and runs, you know, a 5,000 word article m- making the case that, that Joe Biden was, was benefiting. Um, and, and that would be the end of him. But it's a, it's an explosive story. My hat's off to the New York Post, especially, and, and you guys who've, have just been relentless on it and kept it in people's attention. Here is, uh, here is Tony Bobulinski last night. Cut one. I was disappointed, angry, um, because as you said, you spent, you know, uh, the time I've served this country, my family, my credibility as a businessman. Um, and uh, I can't find another story in the history of our country that has been actually so suppressed. Suppressed actually is you know, a complete blackout. So I was angry when I watched this play out, especially when five weeks later, um, the DOJ announces that, you know, they're formally investigating uh, Hunter Biden and the Biden family and they make that public. Uh, it was five weeks uh, too late, and the American people deserve those facts before the election. And why wouldn't you want to interview Tony Bobulinski uh, for that grand jury? Why wouldn't uh, the president ever be asked, do you know Tony Bobulinski? They've met many times face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Why, wouldn't, uh, why wouldn't that be an FBI follow-up since that moment? Do you know whose card he got to follow up on? It was, uh, it was Tim Tebow, the now-retired FBI agent who they blew the whistle on. So he was in charge of Bobulinski. He could not believe that this guy got elected. And he pointed out that he got elected by, I think, uh, 2,500 votes. If you look at all these 50 states and look at Arizona, Wisconsin, and Georgia. Do you think that it is plausible that those people might have flipped who they voted for had they known for certain that that laptop was real and Bobulinski was to be taken serious? I think it's it's hard in the national election when there's so much information and people are making their decisions based on on so much and and sort of have you know um, really deep seated beliefs and attitudes towards the candidates that to say one thing would have made a difference but it certainly it was profoundly wrong to suppress this story and it's something that Republicans I mean there are two things they need to investigate when and if they take the house and it still seems a lot they're going to take the house one is you know Anthony Fauci and the funding for um, that virus research and what happened in the Wuhan lab and Peter Daszak and how he tried to suppress um, people pointing to the lab and why he's still getting money I mean that needs to be a huge focus and then this you know why did these former intelligence a- agents and officials write a letter that if you actually read it closely, it doesn't say it was Russian disinformation, but is meant to lead everyone to believe it was Russian disinformation, including the press. It took took it hook, line, and sinker very willingly. And and what's you know get Bobulinski up there, get uh, what what's what's the deal with these these various uh, business dealings that that Hunter had, and what was uh, Joe Biden's involvement? That's that's another big tranche. So these, these are two huge things they need to dig into. And also part of their financing with CEFC, which is an energy company affiliated directly with the Chinese government. They were going to invest in the Belt and Road Program, which was created to reduce our influence around the world. Yep. And yet he had no problem as a former vice president investing in it. As, are you insane? Here's more yep. from Bobulinski. Uh, I want you to hear what his uh, offer was. Cut for. I've had people reach out to me and I've said, you know, listen, what's the, uh, you know, they just want something. They want something for a news cycle or this going. And um, so... Uh, uh, I have not um, done that. I've been laying low, um, but uh, I'm offering that now. Uh, you know. So you would go on CNN and speak at yeah. whatever length they'd like I about would, uh, your experience. I would go on uh, Jake Tapper tonight. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, the, the invitation is not forthcoming yet. <laughs> Maybe it will be. 
<laughs> I, I'm, I'm just curious because Jake, I'm just saying there's a, and by the way, Tucker agrees with you. He doesn't believe it's going to happen. But I just think it's, uh, Tucker, uh, Jake Tapper has been challenging the other side since the new management yeah. came in. One guy would and do he's, it. Yeah, and he's at nine fair. o'clock. And the thing is, if you're going to go on to try to blow up Bobulinski, you are going to have a long day. Because this guy's an intelligence officer, smart, self-made multimillionaire, has everything in terms of all the text messages. Anytime you doubt what he's saying, he welcomes the toughest questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there 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 are people you know we, we've been around the block both both of us Brian a couple times. There are people that you can just tell glob onto a story and they want glory from it. They're exaggerating. They don't have the goods and they want a twelve hour news cycle. That's not been the case here. You know you talked about it when it came up initially and then and then w- went dark and now he's saying look I'll I'll uh, I'll speak to anyone about it and you think uh, if it's not Jake Tapper everyone else would be knocking on his door right? It's it's a uh, it's a good interview and if you don't believe him. You know, it's, it makes it even better if you can um, shatter his credibility. This guy, you know, the, the right, the right ha- takes really seriously. So one way or the other, that you think it'd be a good story, but um, that uh, we have a media whose news judgment, to say the least, is clouded. But what about sixty minutes? You would think they'd sit down with him. Mm-hmm. Leslie Stahl would have to eat her words. Uh, listen, Donald Trump would have been much smarter saying. Hey, uh, with all these pandemic rules, with an opponent that would not come out of his basement by getting COVID the last few weeks, by the FBI not following up on this legitimate story, this close election would have gone a different way as opposed to everything else he used. This is real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it would be a classic 60-minute story again if it, it didn't involve a Democrat. I mean, they did a story about Ron DeSantis's corruption suppo- supposedly in promoting vaccines because he had a deal with a, a, a really prominent um, grocery drugstore chain that that helped get the vaccines out that everyone knew was totally legit. They did that, but they won't do this. Uh, uh, yeah, I, w- I want you to hear uh, the other big story, and that is Herschel Walker. He came on with me today about the allegations he paid for abortion in 2009 and that his son calls him of some pretty harsh things. First off, here's Christian Walker opening up on, uh, on, his, uh, on his dad, Cut 14. I was silent lie after lie after lie. The abortion card drops yesterday. It's literally his handwriting in the card. They say they have receipts, whatever. He gets on Twitter. He lies about it. Okay, I'm done. Done. Everything has been a lie. And here's Herschel's answer, Cut 12. I love my son unconditionally, and I, that's where I've always been. I always love him unconditionally. You know, he graduated college uh, a couple of months ago. He's now a young man doing his own thing, but his father is always there for him. I always will be for any, any of my kids, and I love him. I always support him, and I always have supported him, and I always will, and I love him unconditionally. Uh, cut 13. He's doing uh, tremendous damage to you by coming out with those statements do you know why he's saying this? Well, the damage he's doing is letting people know that the left will do whatever they can to win the seat. And I told you when I got in this race, I'm going to win the seat. People see someone. So he, he went on. That, that's what he says. He says uh, he's had uh, certain things and he's been redeemed. But he says yeah. the 2009 abortion didn't happen. This unnamed source doesn't exist. It's a it's a painful one, and politically, what gives it an extra accelerant? I you know I think Herschel's denial. Um, would, a lot of conservatives would just tend, tend to believe it because because we've seen these um, 
11th hour attacks before, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, the the foremost example in, in recent history. But the, having the sun kind of pile on, you know, makes it makes it more threatening to him. And you know, I, I don't know whether what the truth of the matter is. If this did happen, the right thing for Herschel to do would have said to be to acknowledge it and say he's redeemed, and that was a different life uh, he was living, and he realizes how wrong it is, and he's seen the light. That's a message that that has great power in American life. Um, but you know, if it didn't happen, he's right to to deny it. I mean, the, the the choice, as a functional matter, is between someone who wants to to have all of us fund abortions, basically through federal funding of abortion all, all through nine months, or someone who's going to be a pro-life vote, whatever he did in his past. But this is this is a you know, it's a it's a, a momentous couple of days for his campaign, and a lot depends on how he handles it. Right. Uh, also, a lot uh, a lot of pressure on certain people. Uh, to hit certain milestones, like, for example, this guy, when he got up to the plate, stuck at 61 home runs. <laughs> High fly ball, deep left. There it goes, soaring into history. He's done it. He has done it. 62. Aaron Judge is the American League single-season home run leader. The AL King. Case closed. Your thoughts about the wait for it, and would you rest him tonight? I, you know, I was, I was just talking to uh, to Pete about this, your, your guy. I would not rest him. I'm greedy. I think he has another home run in him. I would, I would DH him. Um, it, just from my very personal, selfish perspective, this this pursuit was was a strain on my marriage. My wife was like, "Can't you get away from the TV? Put the phone uh-huh. down." Like every ad bat, I needed to know. I needed to track it. I missed uh, 60, 61 because in a meeting, but uh, but I saw this one. I turned it on just in time, and what an achievement! I mean, he's He's a true uh, gentleman, a true uh, Yankee, and also as as uh, you know, someone who does TV ra- radio yourself, Brian. You got to appreciate Michael Kay. He's a great play-by-play guy for the the Yankee TV network. And a lot of these games, they were on Fox, they were on uh, Amazon Prime Plus, or whatever. So I'm really happy for him as a side story that it'll be his voice always attached to this feat, which is the way it, the way it should be. Yeah, because yeah, because if it was on on a Friday night, it would not be right. I mean, and then he got the national games on ESPN, so it didn't happen there. So the Ranger fans got a reason to go to the ballpark again. And a vice president at a major Fisher investment firm is the one that got it. So he's probably got a $2 million ball, $2 million ball in his hand right now. Uh, Rich, thanks so much. Go pick up the National Review and get get additional stress off Rich's marriage. (laughs) Go get him. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, by the way, if you want to see me on stage, and I hope you do, go to Brandon, Mississippi, uh, November 12th, and order tickets now, November 13th, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And December 2nd, I'll be in beautiful Newark, New Jersey. So just go get tickets. It's going to be a night like it's a red, white, and blue night that we all need as a country. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's really a bad story here because we are now the U.S. under Biden, who turned the fossil fuel spigots off and drove up prices. We are dependent once again on OPEC. 
And by the way, it's OPEC plus. So it's the Saudis plus the Russians who are now going to cut back production. At least that's what everybody expects in their meeting tomorrow. Yeah, um, there's a lot going on here. And it's really disingenuous for the president of the United States keeps saying, I cut the deficit, I cut the deficit. You cut the deficit because we were spending incredible amounts of money for the pandemic, and we spend less money when the pandemic is over. Of course, you technically cut the deficit, but it grows to $31 trillion now at a percentage rate that's over 5 Not good combination. Look, he was not the President Biden's not the only one to spend us into overdraft, but he's done nothing but accelerate it. What bothers me most, and maybe uh, certainly Larry, is that we don't have to be this way. We can control our own destiny. That was our goal for 30, 40 years until we reached it. Then these greenies take over the White House and they try to tell us to save the planet. We've got to do these things and it's not going to do any of that. And we're going to have to do in order to have electric cars and green energy is do the things that are going to be also different in a different way, challenging to our planet and environment in which we live. So that's what people are not discussing. So we're going to forgive student loans, try to get the young vote. We are going to uh, we're going to. Make sure that uh, we're going to make sure that a lot of this green technology infrastructure is financed, even though not many projects have actually been implemented yet. And when people look at our books, they're not going to be happy. And along the way, they're going to be vilifying the oil and gas companies. That's the next thing. They have not. OPEC has just decided. And by the way, gas prices are going up now, especially on the West Coast. OPEC has just decided to cut down production two million barrels a day. So guess what? That's going to mean prices go up and uh, the financing of terrorist regimes like to a degree Iran, even though they're heavily sanctioned and certainly uh, and certainly uh, Russia are going to benefit. And we don't have the relationship there with this administration in order for them to step up and say, don't do that. We're at a war. Ukrainians will die. Innocent people will have their lives destroyed. We have to find a way to starve them. Instead, there's no pressure put on India that I know of. I don't see any pressure put on China, even though they certainly have influence there. And we see that Vladimir Putin is barely holding on to power. Uh, we know this. His war is a disaster financially. It's a disaster the way they fight. The Russian army has been exposed. They scare no one. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, we'll take your calls. I promise to get to your emails at briankilmeade.com. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Human beings should not be used as political pawns. We have been working almost hourly with the city of New York since the immigrants or the migrants started arriving. Working at the federal government as well, I've raised this with the White House, that this recalls for a federal solution. Let's look at federal facilities, federal staff to help supplement the city. That is Governor Hochul, who's been MIA through all this controversy with the moving of uh, illegal immigrants to New York from Texas and Arizona. And she now weighs in and says it's up for the federal government to do something. But is that leadership? Congressman Zeldin's been all over this. He's also been looking at crime, and she's always late to the event. She always reacts to him. Now she's trying to be pro, uh, pro-law enforcement. No one buys it. Almost every law enforcement uh, operation has uh, voted for Lee Zeldin and decided to support him. And you have Attorney General of the United States has almost no law enforcement support because they know they don't want their ass kissed. They just want their family and their and their uh, their they want their unit, their precinct supported. And that's what's going to be a key thing in this next election. 
And uh, and that's going to be it. Newt Gingrich looked at this whole uh, landscape and where we're at right now in terms of crime, in terms of illegal immigration, inflation, and the uh, and the main challenges facing our country. And think things are trending towards Republicans. And it wasn't and it wasn't there in in August. Cut nineteen. Politics isn't about theory. Politics is about results, and they're desperate. Uh, they're losing on the cost of living. Uh, they're losing on the price of gasoline. Uh, they're losing on the cost of food. They're losing on crime. They're losing on open borders. Uh, you go down to look at losing on uh, left-wing radical ideas in schools. Uh, and so they look around and they, they can't win on any of these issues. And, and they can't. And don't tell me you're going to win on crime and say, well, I gave money with the rescue plan to states and they could have funded their cities and their law enforcement. That is not earmarking money for law and order. That is uh, saluting Black Lives Matter, which has been a corrupt organization. Everybody wants equality. Black Lives Matter is not is not the vehicle to do it. No one even wants to run it. There's a ton of money there. People and corporations gave money there, well-meaning, and it's being wasted. So right now, for those people say that red, that red wave's been thwarted, I don't think you've been paying attention. I know they got some challenges uh, with candidates who are in tough races. There's another thing happening, which I think is important, is what's happening in Pennsylvania. You talked about this being a, a race-to-race fight. Did you see what's happening with Fetterman? Uh, there's video out here of him. I mean, this guy's had a questionable past. He never really had a job. A lieutenant governor of a – he's been a mayor of a failed city, and he's also been a lieutenant governor for a while. But for the most part, the guy has been uh, flat out out of work. What you now have is coming into the only debate in which the – I guess the bar has been put so low justifiably because of the stroke and justifiably because he takes almost no questions and he talks about what a challenge it is and things got to be uh, things got to be translated. But now you have a situation where Fetterman has more scandal breaking out on him. So you have a situation in the city where he turns out to be dealing with some type of low rate or actually defacing a Braddock strip club. So get this. Fetterman once vandalized the sign of a black-owned strip club while he was a mayor of Braddock. A video, that's the city in Pennsylvania in which he was mayor. A video clip that resurfaced Monday shows Fetterman changing the letters of a sign to be placed in front of the nightclub from opening soon under new management to closed, not opening soon, Following the 2010 incident, which the nightclub caught on security cameras, Federer admitted to vandalizing the club sign, suggesting it was a way to put the new nightclub on notice. Uh, we'll see. Also, Oz was accused of killing 300 dogs. In Pennsylvania, Jezebel reported that Republican doctor Mehmet Oz led a research team that conducted science experiments that killed 300 dogs. When asked for a response to the report uh, by Newsweek, in Oz campaign, our manager said only idiots at Newsweek believe that what they read at Jezebel. Tim Ryan, not inviting the president of the United States to join him in Ohio, is now pretending as if he's a moderate, as if he didn't vote for everything put out by Joe Biden himself. And that's the problem, his voting record, which J.D. Vance has got to do is just make sure people are exposed to it, that he's not scary, that he could actually do it. And that uh, he could actually win and that you can't run from your president. So here's Steph Knight from Axios. She was on special report last night on the problem that the administration's now having because gas prices are going up. And OPEC just voted about an hour ago that they're going to cut back production 
by 2 million. Steph Knight, 22. We have seen gas prices start to tick up over the past few weeks as we've seen the prices start to tick up. It's something that Americans do pay a lot of attention to. And I think it's very clear that the Biden administration knows this is something they have to figure out. We've seen it in the way they've messaged about it. As we've seen, they've been quick to tell about how great it is that gas prices are falling. And now it's not looking so good. Five weeks out from the midterm, starting to see that trend reverse again. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about that is I was predicted, and you might have predicted at home, but I actually said it out loud, and I'm lucky enough to have a radio show. I said, you watch. When the gas prices go up, they're going to bring up Vladimir Putin. Cut 35. You've said the president was responsible for gas prices coming down. Is the president responsible for gas prices going up? So it's a lot more nuance than that, right? Um, Peter, you know this. Uh, there have been global challenges that we have all have de- de- dealt with. When I say all, meaning other countries as well have dealt with since the pandemic. There's been pandemic and there's been uh, Putin's war. And Putin's war uh, has uh, increased gas prices at the pump. We have seen that over the past several months. And what the president was able to do, uh, he took some historic steps. Yeah, nobody buys that. Vladimir Putin's price hike, we're not getting anything from him. The world's not getting anything from him. What's happening is Saudi Arabia is cutting back, and we are not producing. So the question is, will we adjust like all challenged administrations? You can't predict everything. This was predictable, and it has a lot to do with your actions. So she was asked, are you considering more, more, uh, uh, more extraction from a strategic petroleum reserve? Cut 36. So we're not considering uh, new releases releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve uh, beyond the 180 million, which is what you're talk, speaking about, about the 1 million uh, that the president announced months ago. We, we don't have anything more to share or we're not going to be uh, considering new releases. Wow. Uh, good. Now I'd like to hear about replenishing, replenishing the oil res- uh, strategic oil reserves sat there for in case there's a worldwide war, in case there's the challenges that we couldn't foresee. We're getting there. People are writing about next year being some type of global meltdown. I hope it's wrong. And just to get clicks, my fear it isn't because of how much we've lived through already uh, between what's going on with the pandemic, what happened in 2008. You just think to yourself, it's probably not going to happen. Well, it's, lately it's been happening. Larry Kudlow was on with Sean Hannity last night and looked at our, uh, our $31 trillion debt, looked at the interest rates approaching seven and said this, cut 37. It's really a bad story here because we are now the U.S. under Biden, who turned the fossil fuel spigots off and drove up prices. We are dependent once again on OPEC. And by the way, it's OPEC plus. So it's the Saudis plus the Russians who are now going to cut back production. At least that's what everybody expects in their meeting tomorrow. And they are. Two, th- two million barrels. Okay. It's going to jack up prices. Now, as Mike and Michael Schnellenberger told you yesterday, when people come up and say, well, these oil companies make such record profits, they are gouging us. Where's your patriotic fervor? They're not gouging you. It's a global market. And when you take out the supply... And the demand rises, so does the price. So Mobile, Chevron, major oil and gas companies, always vilified and blamed. They say, why are you getting such record profits? Well, what do you want me to do? You are not allowing us to drill punch holes, extract frack at the way in which we normally do. So the price is going up. And therefore, I'm getting paid more, but I'd much rather drill more. 
Julie listening on 97.1 in St. Louis. Julie. Hey, last night I watched the Bobolinsky interview, and there was the voicemail from Joe to Hunter saying, son, I've read the Times article. Yep. I think you're in the clear. So then I went and I read this 2017 article, and it says Yee from the CEFC, quote, turned his sights on the Biden family in 2015. And then there's a gap. The next point in the timeline is 2017, conveniently after Joe is out of office. We know what was going on during that two years, but the article skipped over it. I think somebody uh, at the Biden family got to somebody at the Times and said, we need you to gloss over what was going on when Joe was vice president. I think and you're then right. It also, makes clear, it also makes clear that when Joe told Peter Ducey he knew nothing about his son's business dealings overseas, he knew everything. How would he know that his Julie, son was in the clear if he didn't know? You're 100% right, because you've been following the story accurately. Hopefully there's more Julies out there in St. Louis that that clued in. If you haven't seen it, Tucker's show goes online the night, the next night. And also he's got a special coming up with Tony Bobolinsky and the whole recreation of the Biden uh, fund, which is really disturbing. Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. I'm going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour. Uh, so I hope you like that from 12 to 1. Nikki Haley will be amongst the celebrity panelists. So we'll be talking about that. But I also want to give you an idea of my interview with Herschel Walker today. He was the first interview since his son came out ripping him uh, about his abortion claims and other things that he may or may not have done. Uh, the, fa- the kid seems quite emotional. Uh, Herschel Walker, I played it for him. Here's my uh, my interview in its entirety. Herschel Walker and me on Fox and Friends today. Herschel, it's been a uh, been a tornado over the last 48 hours. I watched you with Sean the other night. Uh, this, according to the Daily Beast, you know this woman, even though her identity is not known. Do you, do you have you figured out who it is? Uh, not at all, and that's what uh, I hope everyone can see. It's sort of like everyone is anonymous, or everyone is leaking, and. They want you to confess to something you have no clue about, but it just shows how desperate they are right now. They see me as a big threat, and I know that, and I knew it when I got into this race, but they don't realize that I think they came for the wrong one. They they energize me. They energize me because I know how they really want to try to keep this seat, and if I let them keep this seat, that means that we're going to have high taxes. That means that this board is going to stay wide open. That means we're going to have crime on the street. Well, that's the reason I came mm-hmm. Uh, we can't do that. And, and you could honestly say... They've energized me to get out and fight. And you don't, you, the Republicans obviously uh, more than likely cannot hold... Uh, can kind of get the Senate back without uh, winning up your seat. So just real quick, this is the card that this woman said uh, that you wrote to her with the check inside to get an abortion. And the reason why it's significant is because you're, you're for, uh, you know, you're, you're pro-life. You're for zero, uh, uh, zero weeks when it comes to abortion. Uh, and here's the card, and you signed it. Do you, you've had a chance to look at this now online and on Sean Hannity's show. Is that you? Yeah, that, I, that's what I said. I was Sean. That looks like my signature. First of all, I never just put an H on anything. I never have. And and I, and I said, you know, you know how many things I've signed, but I've never signed anything but just an H. And and I and I said that's why I said whoever is doing this is you know it's not true. It's a lie. Right. And right now, that's the reason I say I'm going to fight because, you know, I've been redeemed. That's one thing about it. I've been redeemed. And I'm going to make this statement here. It's like they're trying to uh, bring up my past to hurt me. 
but they don't know, like, bringing up my past only energized me to go out and fight even right. harder because I've been to 400 bases to talk about my book, and I'm not trying to sell books here because I knew the pain it had through mental health. And right now they're trying to do anything in their power to take this seat, but they're not going to take right. it from Herschel Walker. So then this right came now, out. I love the Lord Jesus, and I got right. into this race because of my faith, because I see what's happening. And you do say in your book, and we, we did a feature with you for two days, in your book, you had mental health problems, you addressed it, and you're also an inspiration for that. Uh, here's what your son surprised a lot of us uh, because he's been so, he's had tweeted uh, positive things for you. He's an influencer, a conservative. Uh, and this is what he came out and said after this revelation and your appearance with Sean. Listen. My intention is don't lie about your life at the expense of me, my mom, and all of the people that you've affected throughout your life. You don't get to pretend you're some moral family guy. You don't get to pretend all these things. Talk policy. Talk normal. Do not lie. So he saw that and says, you're lying, Herschel. What do you say about your son? Is he telling the truth? Well, I love my son unconditionally, and I, that's where I've always been. I always love him unconditionally. You know, he graduated college uh, a couple of months ago. He's now a young man doing his own thing, but his father's always there for him. I always will be for any, any of my kids, and I love him. I always support him, and I always have supported him, and I always will, and I love him unconditionally. But he's doing uh, tremendous damage to you by coming out with those statements. Do you know why he's saying this? Well, the damage he's doing is letting people know that the left will do whatever they can to win the seat. And I told you when I got in this race, I'm going to win this seat. People see someone sitting here in front of you right now that's been redeemed. And I want America to know I'm living proof that you can make mistakes and get up and keep going forward. But you can only do it in this country right here. And you can only do it if we get this election correct this come November. Because we vote for the people on the left like the guy running against Senator Warnock, you're not going to have a chance to be redeemed. He's a minister, and he's don't believe, he don't believe in redemption. Right now, they're trying to destroy right. America. They're trying to destroy Georgia, and I'm not going to let them happen. It ain't going to happen on my watch. And he went on to tweet. He said, I stayed silent as the atrocities committed against my mom was downplayed. I stayed silent when it came out that my father, Herschel Walker, had all these random kids across the country, none of whom he raised. What do you say to that? Well, what I say to that is just what I said. I love him unconditionally. I wrote about everything in my book. People can read the book. I wrote about it. I bared my whole soul out in the book. I was forgiven. The Lord has forgiven me. Like I said, I'm a Christian. I will always be a Christian. That's the reason I got into this race, because I see things that are going wrong that's not right in this country. They're trying to separate us. They're trying to divide us. Well, I want to bring people together. That's the way I've always been. I don't care who you are. And whether you have fallen down, I'm telling you can get up. I'm telling you that you can have success if you're willing to admit your problem right. and get up and keep going forward. But they want, to, they want to take this seat away. They need this seat here in Georgia. And I'm telling everyone out there, and I, I'm not trying to promote anything here, you got to go to teamherschel.com. Let's keep this seat. Right. I can promise you I'm going to win this seat. So, Herschel, you're saying that you weren't the perfect dad or the perfect spouse, but you've been redeemed. Is that what you're saying? Oh, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, no one is perfect. You know, I even said at a, at a meeting, I'm a sinner. We all sin before the glory of God. But every day I get up in the morning, I pray to God that let me do his will. And that's the reason I'm in this race right now. 
When I see people getting hurt on the street, the crime that's going on right now, the crime is going on because of Senator Warnock and Joe Biden. I see the crime going on. It seems like nobody want to hold anyone accountable for. I said, not on my watch. I see the way this economy is. And they saying, we're not in. It's, it's OK. Well, it's not. This is a this is a new normal. Well, it's not. And I want people out there to know it's not a new normal. And if I told them, if I had to fight alone, I'm willing to fight. I love America. I will fight for America. I'll fight for Georgia. And that's the reason I got into this race. You had 250 people pack a church last night in support of you, and you've already raised over $500,000 since Sean Hannity's interview last night. And so you still have, it uh, seems like your backing is still there. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and explaining uh, what has been going on. Uh, Herschel Walker, thank you. Best of luck. Hey, thank you, and God bless. All right. I appreciated uh, Herschel Walker coming on, and hopefully he wants to put it behind him. Last night he had 250 people in a church, and he's raised $500,000 since Sean Hattery's interview on Monday, and then I'm sure a lot more after today. Republicans want to win that Senate seat. Rick Scott's there. Lindsey Graham still formed. Senator Cornyn's still there. Senator Cassidy's waiting to find out a little bit more, but I think Republicans know he's their best hope, and Warnock's a flawed character. Watch me on Outnumbered in a matter of minutes. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Keep it here. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.